Welcome to the August 4th edition of the PFF Forecast. This is an exquisite show because Josh Hermsmeyer is our guest. We love Josh. If you don't know who Josh is, this is your first time getting a little Josh Hermsmeyer in your life, uh, you're in for an absolute treat. We talk about um, the Nick Chubb deal, but in a more macro level, like what, you know, was that a good deal given the circumstances? Was it not? What do we think about paying running backs? And that expands to this conversation about parity in the league, the salary cap, what would happen if we didn't have one, uh, what really causes parity, a whole host of things. We talk about whether he'd pay Lamar Jackson. Um, and then he has a recommendation at the end. You want to stick around for that. I promise you this. Let's rock. We're gonna get to Josh here in a, in a quick second, and he was here with us for almost an hour, so I don't want to like belabor the point. But holy fuck, Kirk Cousins! Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I feel like I feel like he could really benefit from one of our sponsors, though. Which one? Well, you know, when the coach is yelling at you, telling mm. you to get vaccinated, mm. sometimes maybe like having too much hair in your ears. Oh causes like a little bit that's of not muffling where, that's not usually where i'm concerned about hair on my body but yeah it's but the, one but the that weed whacker forget. yeah something i've used uh on my ears and nose yeah the nose is nice yeah the nose is nice for sure a little tickle um kind of the tickle you might get if you know you're plucked with a vaccine um you know i don't know why it, you, it actually doesn't I, I don't know why you would want to be um other than playing and, and earning the 35 million you're on the hook for. i have no idea um, but yeah, the the Manscaped Weed Whacker, highly you're recommend. A big fan. It actually doesn't feel like you're getting a vaccine when you use it. I should just point that well, out. Well, I've never gotten a vaccine <laughs> in the nose before. Right. I, I actually have never, I ever actually never got a COVID test my this entire time. But they that is how, you know, you sort of go yeah, up the nose there. So the even nose. if you want to be better at getting COVID tests, let's say you're an anti-vaxxer and you want, it, you're, you're Cole Beasley and you want to, you want the like the the path of least resistance for that the gal that comes up to your car and shoves that thing in your nose to see if you have COVID for the seventeenth straight day. The weed whacker from Manscaped. I have used the weed whacker. I will not lie. Um, I've been really keen on on the lawnmower 4.0. It has so far continued to pass my tests. I'm still uh, using. How it. long is it? Like you you talk about how the have you ever gotten to the point where the battery was low? I have not so far. Okay. The battery, but it would tell out. you if it did. It would tell me if it did. And I found this out. It works in low light situations. It has a light on it. So you're in very good shape. If well, it's next reason, to the thing that's supposed to work in low light situations. <laughs> very good point. So um, by the way, you can get 20% off at uh, manscaped.com with the promo code PFF. Go check it out. That's going to be the end of our Manscaped <laughs> show. That was absolutely incredible. Um, my quick takeaway from the past week, you've been on vacation. We haven't talked in, in about a week. I'm going to run you through what happened this week while you were gone. Do you want to hear? Oh, I can't wait. Okay. Um, the 49ers have realized that they have the next generational talent at quarterback and Trey Lance will be starting since uh, from week one. Um, Carson Wentz uh, had a broken foot when he showed up to Indianapolis and shockingly, it has now been discovered and he's not going to be playing for a long time. Neither is Quentin Nelson and the Colts are going to suck. Um, the Vikings, as you know, that's the one thing you followed along on your vacation are a complete trash fire. 
shocking. Um, and how does that team step on its dick in every single circumstance? <laughs> like, what the? F- I mean, it's it's absolutely <laughs> like their kicker. They 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 signed a kicker who hasn't kicked since the 2019 ASU championship game, and the guy, funny, can't hit a kick. You want to know how to get Eric worked up? <laughs> to bring up. The Minnesota Vikings. Um, the other other um, important things in in the news is that um, the uh, my Chicago Bears Super Bowl futures look just absolutely delightful. Justin Fields just looks amazing when there's no pass rush. So those are all good things. Um, we're gonna get to Josh Hermsmeyer here in just one second. Before we do, quick reminder: it's fantasy football season. I don't know if you knew this, uh, Eric, um, but uh, if you head to PFF.com for just nine ninety nine per month with the PFF Edge subscription. You get the fantasy football draft guide, the draft kit that's always being added to and updated throughout the season, player rankings and projections from all like seven or eight now of our analysts. I should know the total number because I'm, I've hired a couple new ones. We have a brand new analyst starting with us on Monday. I think Monday is the correct day. And he's an absolute rock star. So you'll get all of his content too. Um, plus cheat sheets, all the fantasy stuff the that you DFS need. The DFS optimizer. We have the yes. prices for week one that are displayed. Yes. You'll have access to that pretty soon here. Projections. Um, obviously, Pro- the props tool. Yeah, I mean, get, get an elite it's... subscription because the props tool is going to absolutely cook you some dinner this year. And uh, By uh, the way, tomorrow night. Is the Hall of Fame game. Yeah. Have you, have you placed any wagers? No. Okay. Just ask I've not placed any wagers on the Hall of Fame game. I'm a purist, okay? I'm going to bet on the games that teams are trying to win. You're a moralist, okay? Yeah. Okay. Don't you dare. Um, also, check out Fantrax. Um, the, uh, our good friends at Fantrax make it so much more enjoyable to host your leagues. Multi-team trades, player salary and contract options. It's just phenomenal. It allows you to do so many more cool things. It makes it more realistic like the NFL, which is what you're looking for. Um, and uh, you can import all of your current league settings completely free. Sign up now at Fantrax.com. Use the promo code PFF and um, get a chance to head out to Las Vegas to see the Raiders play for free. That's kind of a cool deal. So go to Fantrax.com slash PFF, uh, the new home of fantasy sports. And now our friend, Josh Hermsmeyer. It is uh, about time that we have our good friend, probably Hall of Fame, Mount Rushmore guest, not Rushmore person, Josh Hermsmeyer at Frisco Josh on Twitter. He's got the avatar with the dude in the yellow suit that no one knows. I actually watched doing. that movie. Okay. I, 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 I uh, text Josh. I can't remember what it's like a movie about like a town that had like a nuclear bomb or something. And it's this like group of people. It has that one dude from uh, Arrested Development with the glass. The uh, what's his name? I don't know, but this is off yeah. to a really hot anyway. start. Wait, hotter start, Josh. Before we started the podcast, we were Very talking about start. whether Josh was on team underwear or team freeballing. Yeah, yeah, and like, so I'm I'm not wearing any underwear right now, and and I think that I understand your position, George. Like, because my position right now is, you know, very dangly, just like yours. But but I think that if you're gonna if you're gonna you know woo a woman and you're like in that moment and you're starting to strip and you're taking things off, like there needs to be an extra layer. You can't just drop trow and, and there's the business. Like, I think there needs to be one more step in that whole mating ritual. And, and even if it's been, even if it's like the the 30th time you've done, I still think that's true. It's sort of like when you open like a Christmas gift 
Like there's always an intermediate layer. Isn't oh there God. not? That, that was the analogy I needed. I'm just going to say, um, I respect your position. And I think, I think the opposite. George is the kind of George is the one who wraps the, the bear just yeah, in no, the, you're right. I am. the. You know, this reminds me of Jerry Maguire. Remember when he like is at the doorway with like his hand, you know, like it very in there, the playing the, the jazz and it's just very awkward at the doorway, you know, like that, that's kind of George when yes. he's just suddenly naked, he's just suddenly naked. <laughs> that's definitely me. I choose freedom. Okay. I choose freedom. Oh, geez. So this is the point of the podcast where we talk about Kirk Cousins. And Cole no, actually, the goal of that was to transition into Nick Chubb. Somehow we ended up on the, the Cole Beasley, Kirk Cousins. I was thinking of introducing you, Josh, as the Cole Beasley of NFL analysts, but wow. Wow. I, if, I, if only I could live up to that moniker. Yeah. Uh, because of your ability to go against the grain of the common mm. man, you know. You're very, you're very good at that. Um, contrarian. I, I thought you guys actually already had the ultimate contrarian on staff and Kevin Cole. So I don't know that I can actually hold a candle to him. Who, who's the Kev ultimate contrarian? Yeah, Kevin, Kevin, Kevin. Yeah. Kevin does think for himself, I think really well. Um, but you do as well. I, I, you know, I don't know. What did you think? Like, so here's the thing. And this, this is sort of two people who disagree, right? Cause Kevin on Twitter was talking about Nick Chubb's contract. Yep. And sort of like, I think he would, he would came from it from a perspective of this thing had to happen. And, yes. and once it did the, the Chubb contract, which is less than conditional oh, on yeah. you have to sign him. That was his take. Now let's step in on my joke. I was going to call it the half Chubb because it wasn't as big the, as the good news. McCaffrey or, or Zeke. The, the good news is that people who listen to this podcast have heard that joke 15 times. So we're, we're in good shape. Um, so let me set the table and let Josh kind of give his, um, his take here. Um, three years, 36.6 million is the extension. 20 million of it are guaranteed with potentially up to 30 million guaranteed, according to, to Schefter, but 20 million of it is certainly guaranteed. That's an average of 12.2 uh, million a year, which is obviously way lower than the Gurley, Zeke Elliott, Christian McCaffrey contracts, um, all of which had upwards of 35 million guaranteed. Zeke got 50 million guaranteed, um, 48 million over his first three seasons. So that sets the table for it. Josh, take us through for the people that weren't following on Twitter. Um, what, what did you make of that contract? What was your reaction? Well, I don't know that the right analysis is guaranteed is my first point. Um, I think the right way to consistently analyze NFL contracts under a salary cap is uh, as a percentage of cap and relative to the median second year contract. So I think that's the way you look at everything. And then I think that like, but in, and if that is the right way to look at contracts and perhaps that's debatable, but I, I would say that sharp people I talk to that's the way they do it. And yeah. so I think that like, there's a big difference and this is where I come down on Cleveland. Like, so before I get to the Cub Chubb contract, I like to think about the overall environment and then the team that signed him and like why that might've happened. Right. Cause that's the interesting question. Like if there was no cap and maybe we'll talk about this later, but I think we will, if there was no cap, I wouldn't care what Chubb was paid. Right. It would just would be irrelevant. Like 
there, there would no longer be a constraint. Sign whomever you like at whatever you like, because it doesn't impact your other decisions. But we have a cap and whom you sign at certain positions impacts who you can sign at others. They have uh, Baker Mayfield, who they potentially might want to sign after this season if he crushes it, right, with optimal situation. And they have Hunt already under contract, and now they've signed Chubb. So what, what is going on in Cleveland? And this is the question I have. And I think that there's a really big difference between being a club with a lot of sharp people inside of it and being a sharp organization. And I, there's just a massive gulf between those two ideas, right? I mean, you're more likely to eke out sharp decisions here and there if you have a lot of smart people in an organization. But the lion's share of edge comes when you have someone who's sharp at the top driving things and the entire org buys in. And I just don't think that paying two running backs top 12 at this position is sharp. And I don't think that dedicating 6% of your cap to a single running back when the median second year contract is 1.6% of the cap is a sharp organizational decision. So my question to you guys, where does that leave us with the Browns? If you agree with my analysis. Yeah. There, there's a part of me that that wonders about this though, right? Like I agree with you hundred percent. And I, I like, I like the steadfast, like, we can be happy for the player. We can be, we can understand where they're coming from. We can understand where the Browns are coming from, given the set of axioms they're living by and still not like this. And that's okay. And still think Nick Chubb for whatever it's worth. I don't actually think it's that much. You can think Nick Chubb is the best runner in football. There, there is a universe uh, of, you know, there's a universe where that's true. The the one place where I wonder, and I and this is from thinking about things like Lamar's contract. This is about thinking, you know, kind of all all across you know sports. Is is there a Josh? Do you believe that there's space to sort of make micro negative EV moves that that have positive EV sort of uh, externalities to them that when you look at each individual decision, they don't make sense. But in, in sort of the same way, like when we used to talk to Zach, where he said, you know, why do we run the ball? We run the ball because every once in a while I need a mental break, right? Like it's a negative EV move, but it has like these externalities that we're not looking at. Is there, cause I, I think what about you're, what you're saying is that there are, th- this is less negative than it could have been. Yes. And that is a good thing. It's sort of like if you're a sports better and you are, think about it, if you're a sports better and you're saying, I only bet positive EV plays. I only bet positive EV plays. And the World Cup comes on and your model says there's no positive EV plays. And part of the enjoyment you do, part of the utility you derive from being a sports better is the enjoyment from sweating out games. And so, no, no, so, so this is already horseshit because you don't have to bet. They have to play every game, right? So that's that's the argument, right? And I didn't mean to cut you off, Eric, but I just think no, no, like I, I wanna, one, I wanna, of, one of the great joys of poker and betting and all the rest, and one of the great, the biggest, the biggest EV thing you could do is pick your spots, right? Yeah. Pick the game you sit down to for cards and pick your spots to bet. NFL teams don't have that luxury. Every year they got to play the games, right? Yeah. That's the argument. That's the argument. You, you have to play the games. But that still doesn't explain 
two running backs, yeah. top 12 at their position. So it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't that, that even, is not organizationally sharp. I, I'm not even like talking about necessarily this particular move, but like, let's say, for example, let's say the, let's say for like the Ravens, for example, if, if the numbers come out and say Lamar might not be worth a $45 million deal, right? Probably and, not worth a 45. Yeah. I mean, and, like, what, what, I'm sorry. I, I'll, I have a whole rant on Lamar, but go yeah, ahead. Yeah. I, I'm just saying, is the, you like, is making the quote, is making the quote correct decision in that instance worth the utility of some of the things that can come from being an organization that rewards brilliant play? Like, I, talking, I don't know. So I think what you're saying at least in the Lamar one, and I actually do really want to get to that, but I feel like that would be jumping ahead where this conversation still has a little more to go, which is that you are you are biting the bullet. Like you're paying an extra whatever it is in order not to lose that player completely. And I think what Josh, what you're saying is, well, there's a ton of evidence that losing that player completely does you very little harm and you can get a guy that is 80, 90% of that for... 1.6%, I think is the number that you used of the cap um, and have no problem with it. I would argue that you could just, you know, draft a guy in the fourth round and you'd be, you'd be just fine. Um, is what you're saying, Eric, then that like having Nick Chubb on your team or the fans knowing that you didn't let him go is the, it, that's like the positive piece you of the might, thing? You might lose the opportunity. And again, some teams might not care about this. But you might lose the opportunity to be a place where free agents want to come if you if you are perceived as a place that does not reward great play. And again, like I said, I think the Chubb move is negative EV. But you, but I'm wondering if there's any sort I of argument think that argument's even more horseshit than the first one. I, okay, and, I, I, and, and let me give you a, a perfect example of why that's horseshit. Justin Houston just signed for well below market with the Ravens, and they have not paid a running back. Would they pay five million a year? Like five million a year, and at the time it was three and a half percent of the cap. Like I'd also just, just I'd say this: I, I, this is the bigger point, which is first off, championships are not won in free agency in the NFL. They're they're won in the draft, and when you draft a good player and then you offer him the money, he's going to stay. Like players are not going to look around and go, you know what? Should I not take this money that's in front of me because they didn't sign another guy like that one time? Yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm just sort of. I'm sort of trying to play devil's advocate in the sense that it is I'm I'm asking this question is there is if make does making every single positive EV move independently mm-hmm. add up to something less than than the sum of you know does, does that add up to something less than some I sum think- of moves that are sort of broad where you allow for you allow for certain like bendings of the rule my the answer is probably no but like that's sort of what that is like the argument that people are gonna that's the argument implicitly that i think a lot of folks are making and, and when you talk to people within the league like you're like look man i this is again what josh is saying you have you have really smart people working for teams right and you ask them these questions and you say well we can't trade player x because that would send this like the owner's never going to do this and it's like well, well, that's the key point. Yeah, I mean, that's the yeah. only point that needs to be said here. Um, to, in my opinion, Josh, it's it, I think you're dead right. And I was going to ask you, like, how high up the chain does this do the smart people have to go? 
because from my vantage point, it's the owner. Yeah, I think it has to start with the owner and he has to empower the decision maker, the ultimate decision maker is the GM because um, he's going to weigh in. I, what a bunch of horseshit that, that owners don't actually put their thumb on the scale. Oh. It happens every in every single draft room, which is the most consequential day of the year, the first draft, first day of the draft. It happens every year. So that absolutely has to happen from the top. And then the GM also has to inculcate this whole idea of this is the way we're going to do things. And it's hard and it's never going to be uniform and it's never going to be perfect, but it needs to start there. And even then you're going to dole out, you know, bad decisions to people you like, because that's just how people work. Like you reward hard work with suboptimal decision-making. Like I am not uh, sitting here saying, no, we can't possibly ever make a suboptimal decision because it helps with a people problem. That's not my argument here. What I am saying, though, is that from the outside, how are we supposed to judge process? And when I look at Cleveland and what they've done, it's hugely problematic to me because this is not a position where there's a lot of room for interpretation in terms of positional value. So do you do you think with Cleveland then, because we praise them in the in free agency we've praised them pretty much everywhere yeah i mean there is there is a bias there because there's an issue with and not a bias i think in like like the a negative sense it's just that they do they have smart people we we sort of you want to root it's not a problem to say you want to root for andrew uh andrew barry kevin stefanski and and like yeah yeah quasi adolfo mensa the the issue is like so so would you even say like, cause we, you said this, like building through free agency is dumb. Like there's, it, it, there's not really a, it, it's just not a method. And, and so they get John Johnson for what we said is a reasonable deal, but safeties are a position that is random as hell. Like, is there really a ton of an edge in like not paying him Marcus May money and, and just paying him a little bit less? Like when Anthony Harris can go for one year, 5 million, like do, do we look at that and, and like gush over this and say, you know, the minutia of it is, oh, well, he's an elite safety. Did we ever stop to think, well, the probability of being elite safety one year, given you were an elite safety the previous year, is not that high. Same for running backs. We look at the Troy Hill thing. I'm like, oh, that's a nice complimentary corner. And, and did we look at the Clowney signing and say, well, yeah, for J- the JV on Clowney, he's a former number one pick, one year, eight million. Have we even looked at what Clowney's done recently? Like, there are well, a number of moves where we look are- at the Peppers. Look at the Peppers move for OBJ. Like, I, I think. It was a process on on process, you know, great. But like, I also, as, as a lark last year, was like, Peppers is going to be the guy, right? He's I would take him. And he turned out to be really fucking good, like at his position. Was that, was that a bad process move? No. I think that's why it's so important, like, pardon my dog. Uh, it's why it's so important, I think, to look at things from a process perspective. Because when you start to like evaluate things based on outcomes, which everyone who's a football guy wants to do, you know, you can really get lost in the weeds and, and say this was bad and this was good. And I'm saying from a process move, I don't care how good Chubb was, right? I don't care how good White was at linebacker for Tampa Bay in one important game. Like I just these are not relevant factors to me when you're looking at the big picture, which is should you be spending large draft capital or big free agent money on these type of players at this position? And the answer, the sharp answer is no. Mm-hmm. So who do you, so I guess my first question is, do you think that, do you think that we are, have been too kind to the moves that the Browns have made 
because of Andrew Barry? And is this like the very poignant case of that happening? Is that no, why? I, we... I, I don't think that, uh, like Eric said the same thing, like PFF is not a monolith, right? And I think one of the great things about PFF is the diversity of opinion, because at that point, by the time something gets published, you know, I assume it's gone through a bit of a gauntlet and people have had weighed in. There's been lots of opinions thrown at the thing or maybe not. But in any event, you will get opinions from Twitter. And uh, and the fact that there are differing opinions coming out of PFF is a is a strength of, of your organization. Uh, so I don't like painting. We. Um, it, it is a little difficult if we're discussing meant, PFF I in particular. Meant we, not as PFF, but as like g- the general tone in the football world, including I think a lot of people who do math with football is. And that, then, then I would I would say that's fair. I think there's yeah, a what I was talking strong about. analytics bias towards Harvard GMs. Yes. Yes. And I think that was the case. So I tweeted out tongue, very tongue in cheek that we should hand. Andrew Barry, the executive of the year, because he didn't pay uh, Nick Chubb as much as the other guys. And I was trying to kind of illustrate something, which is what I think the, I think one of the reasons that there are so many differing opinions and why, for example, the news piece that PFF put out talked about how the contract was of a lower value. It had kind of re, it was a part of this resetting of the RB market because there was this, that is a step in the right direction. And so people want to look at that trend or that, you know, look at the derivative and go, oh, it's negative. People are moving back. Eventually, we're going to get to the right place. It's a sign of hope, right? It's a smaller negative, and that should be praised. And then there's also a group of people who I think look at it probably as it was, Josh, where Andrew Barry wasn't making this decision. He was told, you're going to re-sign Nick Chubb. I want Nick Chubb on this team. Go make it happen. That's or, kind of or, or, or maybe it wasn't a complete like, you know, directive, but it was him reading the room in a way that Sashi was unable to, which I actually fault Sashi for. I don't think he was a good manager or a good reader of the room. And I think maybe he I, I, I mean, I don't know any of this. This is all speculation, but I can imagine a world where he's like, look. My my coaches love that we have these two running backs. Um, it will make them happy if I can continue to keep these guys on the team. Um, it may not be, you know, positive EV in terms of like the position value and what we're paying them, but it will be positive EV for my career and for my harmonious relationships and my ability to manage this team and to further it to the future. So, so, so in a particular environment, I can understand that type of decision-making, but again, that gets back to that's not a great organization. Like that's not a sharp organization. That's just, that's an organization where sharp people are bending to the will of poor thinking. And I mean, fine, you want to call it reality or whatever. I'm just saying that reality sucks. I want a reality where people are thinking correctly about how to win football games. Okay. So let me ask you this, because I too want to live in a utopia. Or something like that. But no, 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 no. This is because I get it. We can sit here and idealize what having 50 people with, and we just talked about this from PFS perspective, right? Like having 50 people that are all in sync on what the positive EV move is at every step of the way. 
is that even a realistic thing to think about? Like that isn't ever going to happen. But, but you, you just, you said like, I think, so we have Brad who I think has increased our understanding of the minutia of contracts to a, to a degree where we're talking intelligently about them, but it can it, in the case of the Chubb, Chubb contract, it came at the expense of a point of view that's different than ours, right? Like that's, that's essentially what, what Josh is saying, where it's like, like when we wrote the article about Dalvin Cook last year, it was very, it was, and that was what was pointed out, which was. Yeah, but I actually don't give a fuck about, sorry for swearing. I don't, I'm not really talking about like one article. I'm talking about like, no one cares about the article. I'm talking about like this this conversation about Nick Chubb yeah. and like what the Browns organization yeah. could have possibly done. And I like you're Andrew Barry, Josh, what are you doing? Yeah. And, and I, and that's the question. Like, I don't want to assume I know everything he knows or uh, that I uh, feel the pressures that he felt, but what my point, my broader point is a good organization would foster an environment where the GM could make positional value decisions that are correct. And there, this is the easiest thing to get right in all of football. We cannot rank correctly within, within positions, right? We're, we're, we're terrible at that. Like, no one knows who's a good quarterback. Like, I mean, it, I don't care what you say. Like, I, I have some models I think might help a little weed out the bad ones. We'll talk about and the I think I might be able to say this guy is really going to be good. But, like, when, when we talk about in terms of positional rankings, we're just horrible in general. But what we can say with a pretty reasonable degree of certainty is that this position is more valuable than another. And so to make mistakes at that level bespeaks something else, Right. And that's my entire point. Yeah, it's the same thing as the trade down in in in, in the draft. Like we're really bad at picking we're players. we're really bad at picking players. But what we do know pretty well is the if you add picks X and Y, it's greater than the value of picks Z, right? So mm-hmm. that is a decision where you can take out a lot of the un, you can take out not only uh, the un, the noise the uncertainty that comes from noise you can take out the uncertainty that comes from your ability to understand the world, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like that, that to me, I, I, Josh is making a good point here. I do think it's interesting, right? Cause like what you just described, Josh, which is I'm reading the room. I don't even take a directive from the owner. I'm just, I know that this is something that if I took a stand on it, it would be the owner would be like, Hey, what the hell? And yeah. then I would have to explain myself in a way that he's not going to understand and I'm and like he's saying, oh, what's twelve million dollars APY for three years? And I think that there's some utility to that 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 is separate from winning games and hence is overvalued, right? Like that's what you're saying. Like it does not help you win games. It has utility. It's organizational overhead with which he, the job of a GM occurs, right? So, so what would you have done? I mean, the the issue is is. Like, would you have fought that battle? Because I'm, I think I would have made a, an environment where that battle doesn't happen. So you, okay. So you let's, so are you saying that you walk in to get the job and you say, you sit down with Haslam, you sit down with Deep Testa, Deep Testa probably agrees with you, right? So you're just, you're sitting down with the owner, right? And you go, here's how it's going to go. <laughs> and you yeah. lay it all out there and you go, 
you know, you, you have your big presentation at the end of it. The guy looks at you and goes, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> I'm supposed to hire this guy? Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, but I mean, that there's an issue with that, though, right? Because, well, I, Josh, what I mean, so well, like, like, there's two there's two things here, right? Like, like first you of all, getting, being a GM in the NFL is a lottery ticket. So you're, I mean, turning down a lottery ticket is just dumb. Right. So there's the first part of it. The second part is it. Do you want to be a good? Do you want to be a good GM? And and like and so if you're Ballard, you kind of had a couple choices, and and he, I thought he picked wisely. It turned out to be unlucky. Yeah. But like, I think it's a lot like also choosing your table at poker. Like, if you have, if you're that good, right, and you've won the lottery, but you can also choose your table, then that's that's the perfect place to be. And what I would suggest is that. You know, then you choose the table where, you know, the environment won't be that you're fighting your owner about paying running backs 10% of the cap. Like I just exist. I think it does exist, but it's rare. What? Like where? Like, I think if you were uh, in the right place at the right time, you could probably have gotten Tepper to think that way. Um. I think that you could probably get people in Buffalo to think that way. You could probably get people, I mean, if they're not too busy trying to sell everything or, or, or recapitalize and then, or, or you might be able to get people in, uh, in uh, uh, Miami to think that way. I, I, I might've repeated myself. Yeah. I, yeah. And I think like there's, there's clearly, I mean, the hard part is that even us and you know, the three of us who I think, have been at the tip of the spear in many ways in terms of understanding analytics and football. Like we are, I think we have great intuition about a lot of these things, but I do think that our tools need to get, like, for example, like we talked about on the last two podcasts ago, we talked about surplus value. Mm -hmm. Like I look at like Kareem Hunt last season, if you take war and transfer it to dollars was worth about 6 million last year. So I can make the case that his deal was fine. When I go and say, look, Nick Chubb, it was almost a 0.2 war player last year, but 0.2 war makes for you, you know, one fifth. So $9 million. He is a $9 million player at his best. And so you're going to pay him 12 a year. You like, I don't care what the market is. The market is Derrick Henry last season at 0.25 war or whatever was worth you know, basically exactly what he made. And he's making a mega running back contract. Like, I feel like we're not, like, are we just not confident enough in our own, like that we've taken our intuition and, and brought it to its sort of rigorous conclusion. I know certain teams are, like when I talk to certain teams and they're like, oh, I got, we got 3% surplus value on this trade. And it's like, okay, this team, like, but I, I do feel like, if we had better tools, Josh, if I, if I came to an owner and said, look, when you sign, when you sign Nick Chubb to 12 million a year, you are on average, or actually no, at best in this case, giving up 3 million a year. I think that's a much more compelling argument that I, I don't like paying running backs. Well, here's the problem. If I drafted Patrick Mahomes and I made that argument, it might win. If I haven't, don't think you win. And that's just, that's just how it is right now. And did, 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 did uh, anything other than luck lead you to drafting Patrick Mahomes? Probably not. 
but you need that on your resume before people are going to listen to the rest. So at some point, someone needs to have some success, luck, and then have the ability to influence an organization to the extent that, and, and I'm, I'm, I mean, I think there's some that are doing this, but I just mean, if we want to see this spread, they have to have the ability to, to have a large influence on how an organization is structured, structured. And then on top of that, they need to get lucky and win in the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, was that I mean, what at, at the end of the day though, I don't really, I honestly don't care like so much, like the, the people I like in this business are, are having the success they're having and they're enjoying their edges and whatever. Like, so I, I, I don't, it's not that I want this to spread so much. It's just that I think it's important for us who are interested in what's right and true and whatever, and like sharp to like really understand, you know, how that might work. I, I guess one of I would probably push back on the idea that any organization, I don't think there's an organization in the NFL that wouldn't have signed Nick Chubb. Wouldn't have extended it. I don't think that exists. If you, okay, so who are the teams that are the least likely to have? I, I do agree. I, I think Buffalo might have let him go. No, there's no chance. I, I no think chance in hell. the Ravens did just go linebacker running back in the first, in the first two rounds. Yes, J.K. Dobbins has two good seasons, and he'll get the same fucking contract. Uh, I mean, I'll say this. I'll say this about, I'll say this about Baltimore. It, they they've made some tough decisions they've they've successfully made some tough decisions who i mean judon has lots of like oh, hold on let's put that part to bed i have lots of problems with baltimore's 20 that judon is an example 2020 of 2020 draft it was not good yeah, the 2020 like, draft yeah, sure 95 it was, it was it was there was lots of bad moves there but again i i am not on the team like this is not they're not my team uh, but overall, do they make relatively good decisions? Yeah. Like, do I think they would have signed Nick Chubb to that deal? It's possible, but I know that there would be lots of fight internally over a decision like that. The Orlando and, Browns. And, and I have to imagine that that same fight happened in Cleveland. If it didn't, then we have some real misapprehensions about the folks. That would, I mean, that would be fascinating to know. I would be somehow, some way, maybe it never comes out on a podcast, but we got to find out what that is. Cause I think that's a good point. Like how it went down tells you so much about the situation, about how to grade the people in it. Because I can't fault Andrew Barry for doing something that, yeah, was minus EV, but is he probably pretty confident that Nick Chubb will have like a good season this year? Right. Like, and right. you know, like, it's not like he's, it, is, it is such a low risk move for him. Right. Like right. It, it, like in, like in his situation, it's hugely low risk and because I cannot fault him. I almost look at it and I go, I wonder, because I do want to talk about Lamar and, and this maybe is a good segue. I wonder if Andrew Barry was sitting there and said, look, I'm reading the room. I know ownership wants this guy. I look at the fan base. The fan base is going to have like a conniption if we don't, you know, extend this guy. And it's not, I'm not going to fight this battle. You know what the battle I want to be able to fight is though? The Baker Mayfield one. Because as much as Nick Chubb, as much as overpaying a running back here matters, if you fuck up the quarterback decision, 
no, none of this matters. Right. And I, I don't have a ton of confidence that that's actually the case, but I, I could see a situation where you're like, look, I'm going to pick my battles and this ain't, this ain't the one. Yeah. And, and I think if that is what's going on, then okay. But we don't have, you know, that knowledge, or at least I don't. And all I can do is look at what we have. And you were asked, I was asked to analyze the Chubb deal. And so I did, but like taking a larger view as you've asked, uh, yeah, no, like, this isn't a condemnation of Andrew Barry's management. Like he's under pressures that I have no idea about. Like he's under, like he's, he's, he needs to, as a boss, you need, you literally need to answer to your employees. Like I, some people have a misapprehension about that too. No, you absolutely, if you, if you value the people that you've hired, you owe them in a certain way. Like you're not just some dictator up on high. And so they've given them, they have given him their, their feedback. His coaching staff has given them, like, we won last year and you want us to continue to win. We need these guys. Like if that's the feedback he's getting, if ownership is kind of listening in and nodding along with all that, like Stefan Askey's the, 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 the coach of the year, you're not going to listen. Like, of course, of course he's in a pickle. But again, that's an organizational issue. Like, and this is why I try and get back to this. Like you can have lots of really smart people in a building and have a, suboptimal organization yeah no it's interesting and like whether i mean whether the utopian organization can exist and for my money it's not about that you're never going to get that you're never going to get all the coaches you're not going to get all the people that matter in an organization to feel you know that this is the right move it all comes down to an owner if you have a billionaire owner and we're going to talk about parity here in a second you have a guy worth $10 billion and he believes in yeah. analytics and he buys a team, then you'll see I, this shit happen. I was reading a book about soccer the other day. They said uh, the we should not grade soccer players on the on the tackles they make because if you if you have to make a tackle, you've already fucked up. I do think that there's an aspect of this where if you have to go to your owner to, def, to defend a, a move not to sign Nick Chubb, there's already a disconnect that might might be insurmountable, right? Like I think that that's where that's where I'll say from Josh's point of view, which I think is is spot on. Like the whole thing has to be everybody, everybody from and there and it's a difference. The evaluators, right? The evaluators might have a different worldview, but the decision makers sort of have to have a similar um, have to have a similar sort of point of view. So let's let's transition here. We spent a lot of time on that. I want to ask you what you think of Lamar and you said you had a lot of takes there. I kind of want to, well, I have one take, I have one take, one take, whatever it is. One, one take to rule them all. Um, I want to hear it. So I think that people underplay or, 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 or they, they, they miscalculate perhaps the probability that Lamar and people like Allen have already had their best seasons. And they're going to pay him on that upside. And there's nothing else you can do. Uh, so this is where I'm completely, completely on board with folks who are willing to take big risks on and pay and overpay, perhaps. Like you say, $45 million for Lamar, and you say that's an overpay. I would not disagree. But I'll say you have to do it. This is where that whole argument about Chubb, well, no one wouldn't sign Chubb. Well, no one wouldn't sign Lamar, right? And this is that instance where the market 
and what you're willing to pay, they, they meet and, and, and expectation and risk and everything comes into play. And you just go, it's the most important position. The possibility of him reaching his ceiling again in a certain season and, and pushing you all the way to a championship is, is non-zero. And maybe we're overweighting the, the chances that he will do it again. But at the same time, we know he's done it. So you have to pay. Um, and so I guess, I guess my point, uh, the hot take is that like, I, I think he's probably going to be overpaid, but I still think you have to do it. So this is where this whole argument we've had about Chubb, I think absolutely applies to quarterbacks and, 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 and people like Lamar in particular, who have shown they have an MVPC in, in them. So you, so you would pay Lamar 45, say even $50 million a year. Um, it might, might get to that point. You, you would do that. You wouldn't bat an eye on it. Well, I would bat an eye. Like, that's the point. Like, I would, my butt would pucker really fucking tight because <laughs> oh. I, I, I think you're probably doing the wrong thing in terms of surplus value, but I don't think you have a choice at that position. And that's because of, that's because of positional scarcity. That is that the, that, that's because you do not see quarterbacks with that upside come around. And so, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the chances of it happening again. Like, I, I think it's probably the case that 2019 was, you know, a very special year. And the fact that Baltimore was unable to win at all is really lamentable for that team. They had a lot going for them and they had taken the league by surprise in a lot of ways. Um, they had the right coach at the right time with the right player at quarterback. And I think guys like Roman have shown themselves to not be adaptable in the way you might hope. Um, and I think players like Lamar have shown themselves to not be adaptable in the way you might hope. And so you really need to strike while the iron's hot. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other aspect of this is for, I think almost every other position, the median is what matters, right? You like sort of compare medians and all that kind of stuff. I think with quarterback, Josh is really talking about the the, the probability of being good enough to win a Super Bowl right. with, with the team on your back, which is, I think, a, a skill held by only a handful of quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you shoot your shot there because if you don't, having a median quarterback, you know, it, it, what does that do for you? It doesn't do shit for you. And the Broncos are going to find that out this year, probably. Right. Like, and the Vikings have found that out for a while. Yeah. I mean, every team is like, there's two types of teams. There's a team that can win because, because their quarterback is on a rookie deal. And then there's a team that can win because their quarterback overcomes everything else. And Lamar has such a unique skill set that he can. I, of course, like my, the issue that with the Ravens, Josh, I wonder if you agree with this is that the Ravens for the last 20 years as a franchise, more or less have been a great team. The 50th percentile for the Ravens is an amazing football team. And the hard part is that, and they've, they've, they've had it twice. So that that's great. But like, but the, the hard part is, is Lamar. I think Lamar lengthens the distribution while maybe possibly decreasing the median. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Sure. I, I, I guess my take is maybe not so much about the distribution and, and more about, how you value the entire area under the curve. And like, I think even, even given a knowledge of what the distribution, true distribution is, it's probably going to be overvalued. 
and that's my problem, like if, in, a, in an analytical sense. But I, I still don't think it's a problem, like I like in terms of decision making. Let's you know, let's talk about parity here for a second, because um, this is another part of your. Uh, you went on Twitter and just like took the the Tesla flamethrower out and just went after it, which which is one of the best parts about Josh is that there's no mm-hmm. there's no filter. It's beautiful. Um, I was I was laying on the beach watching. That's the whole that, time. I don't. Which is you know, we've already talked about. I guess not wearing underwear. So like. I can't give you shit for the site, but you know, whatever. I wasn't wearing underwear. Good. Um, <laughs> does Josh, does the salary cap um, increase the parity in the NFL? All right. So first what's parity? I, I think it's about winners. Like who wins? Like, yeah. What, what does that group of winners look like? Does it change? Is it static? Do we see most teams like, you know, make the playoffs every 20 years? across the league do most teams win at least maybe one playoff game every 20 years yeah i guess i guess the way i would define it and eric you jump in here but the way i would define it is the kind of ability with which to jump into the like 85th percentile right what does that group of 85th percentile teams look like is it is it always the same is it always the fucking yankees and the red Sox, or do you get you know a nice mishmash of of teams in there yeah here's a so Josh, Josh knows this already because like we we message back and forth about this. I it's so interesting, right? Because if you define parody, I think the way that a lot of people would, but maybe they uh, how sorry how a lot of people think of it, right? The, the, a, a lot of people think about parody as as what's the likelihood my dog shit team is going to be relevant every so often, right? And from that perspective, and we did this, um, if you look at pff.com, I did an article like three, four months ago about the likelihood of staying elite, the likelihood mm-hmm. of staying poor, the likelihood of, and I looked at different eras. I looked at the, basically the pre-free agency post Seattle, Tampa Bay expansion. And then I looked at, you know, basically free, uh, the Carolina Jacksonville expansion until realignment then i looked at realignment to the cba and i looked at cba till now so that you know they're they're broad but you know you can defend them and what's interesting is that in that earliest phase more teams in the stable stage distribution were elite than they were in the intermediate two but that but that percentage is the exact same as it is now Mm. so the teams that stay in sort of that like and i define it as in the preseason, you are two points better than the average team on a neutral field, which is actually not that easy because everything regresses in the preseason. Mm-hmm. So you're like, you're coming into the season truly elite. Over 27% of the teams in the NFL in the current alignment do that. And that's how they did it back when Josh's 49ers were winning four Super Bowls. In Our the 80s. 49ers, Josh. And, Our 49ers. and that to me is exactly what Josh is talking about, which is that after a while, the cap, the cap was a the cap was a, 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 a jarring thing, but after a while, some of these teams have optimized for it. And there's a, there's a very clear way to optimize for it. And the reason it's so easy is precisely because of the cap, the cap in many ways makes it easy to be a dynasty because you can't pay the, the most valuable player on your team, like enough money because of things like the, the, um, the uh, franchise tag and things like that. The one place where you do see parity, if you define it differently, is the percentage of teams that are two points below average on a neutral field than the average team. So that number has steadily decreased about four or five percent 
every, not four or 5% each time, but from that first phase, there are a lot more just consistently terrible teams. Mm -hmm. Think about like the Atlanta Falcons in the eighties, stuff like that. Nowadays, only 20% of teams are, are consistently in that sort of range. So I think from, and that's, I think how people view parody, even though what, when the, when you ask them to define it, they really mean what Josh means. Yeah. So I guess I, my take is about, as you said, the latter. I, I, I think whenever anyone talks about parody, they write articles on parody, they compare it across sports or whatever you have, whatever you might have. They're talking about what is the chance that my team is going to be one of the good ones this year and win a playoff game and give me hope like that. That's that's the feeling of parity, right? It, 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 give me a 20 year span of a league. How often am I feeling pretty good about my team, no matter where I'm located in the league? And so my take is there's no evidence that the NFL salary cap impacts that. Um, and and the NFL used to not have a salary cap. And that's the that's the important point here. And it's like we've had a we have a before and after picture of the NFL that we can look at. And if after the cap was instituted, we can observe, you know, more division winners as a percentage of the league or uh, a lack of dynasties. Boy, that would be interesting. Things like that, that. Then I think we would have some solid evidence for the case that the cap was impacting parity. But that's not what we find. Right. So the cap couldn't prevent the greatest dynasty in the history of the NFL. Right. The, the oh, Patriots won a quarter of the Super Bowls oh, sorry, the since, the, since the cap no. was instituted. Did I, did I lose you? No, you're good. You're good. I right. said something stupid because I wasn't thinking, but yeah. He's no, no, but the Patriots are like just under a quarter of the Super Bowls since the cap was instituted. That's wild, right? So the percentage of teams that have won multiple divisions over the last eight years is roughly the same pre and post cap. So if you look at eight-year buckets, roughly the same. Um, and that's according to work done by Jason Fitzgerald. So I think given that evidence, if your claim is that the cap creates parity, there's a causal link, then I think you have some heavy lifting to do. And I think that it's conservative and humble, the thing to say it is that, well, you know, we don't know, or we have no way to know one way or the other. We I just don't I, have any idea. I So I think this is, because I, I agree, I think I agree with both of you, which is such a lame thing to say, but, um, and you guys don't technically like disagree on a lot of this I, I don't think but to me it's a function of the way that football is played and what matters in football the quarterback we just talked about it so if you think that drafting quarterback so like I, this is what I would argue Josh if there was no salary cap and instead of a draft you were just auctioning off players to the highest bidder well then it would matter a fucking lot that the would. parity is in the draft because bad teams always pick at the top. They are always taking chances on getting great quarterbacks, but those quarterbacks aren't going anywhere. Well, they don't have long, they don't have long lasting. They don't have long lasting dynasty. Who are the quarterbacks in these dynasty teams? They're like almost uh, over half of them are carryovers from a previous CBA. But they're, they're also but th th there's no transition for when a good quarterback goes to a team, he's not going anywhere else. No, that 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 that's the thing, right? And yeah. and and, and, and to your point, and to your point, like different sports probably react differently to a salary cap. I don't know this for certain because I only really follow football, but 
it makes sense. And it's because of the new unique features of each league. And like, so it wasn't just the salary cap in 1994 that the NFL added. It was also the first year that a bunch of new pass friendly rules were implemented, right? That, that, that the league was really trying to stop kicking field goals. I, if you remember, Len Pascarelli, he literally called the NFL the national field goal league in 1993. Like it was a wildly different game. They, they moved the kickoff back from the 35 yard line to the 30 yard line in 1994 to try to get more kick returns and to try to get more scoring. The league in 93 was boring as hell. And yes. And they, they put in the two point conversion in 1994, which also created more close games. No the, chucking downfield. Like it was Minnesota Vikings in, in 94, 95, combined played like eight overtime games like the the institution of the two-point conversion completely changed the game of football in a weird way but you're right josh and that and that's what makes it so hard the other thing that also happened was there were two new teams added to the nfl there were four new teams added to the nfl in a uh, carry the two like seven eight year stretch right and and that i mean you're talking about four out of 32 that's like a humongous fraction of the league like you're just you're lowering the talent pool there and and again, like and and you made winning the Super Bowl even more of a winner take all fat tail event, right? And like, I, I don't know. Like, yeah. I, so, I guess I guess the couple questions that I have are like, do we need more parity in the league? If it comes at the expense of scoring and passing, no. Well, we always. Um, do- I guess, I guess it's the same question. It's like, is there, is more parody what people think of it as? Like, I think the ultimate parody in sports is the NCAA tournament where just like shit happens. <laughs> you have players that are like, there's only a few good players playing in college basketball and they're not even very good. And it's just like, you know, people just throwing up prayers and shit goes in, shit doesn't. And like good fundamental basketball, yeah, shit happens. And that's, that's parody. And people see that as fun, right? The madness. That I think is what like ultimate ish parody would look like. Does that actually make the NFL more fun? Would that be what we would get out of it? Well, if there was like, okay, so there are certain things we know about football and certain things we don't like, but one of the things we do know is that elite QBs move the needle. Like if an elite edge rusher goes out, the line doesn't move. Right. If Aaron Rodgers is, you know, play, and a game is going to be uncertain. Like they don't know if he's going to play or not. They, it's not, it's not that the line does moves or not. It's that they take it off the board. Like it, it elite QBs are the thing. And the cap does not affect elite QB distribution or supply. So it's not a surprise that the cap, or we might find in our observation that the cap doesn't actually, when it went on or off, doesn't actually impact outcomes in the way we might expect. Like, that's not surprising, given what we know about the game of football. And, and so I think, like, it, if you want to, like, you know, make more parity, but not, like, go back to when it was the National Field Goal League, then I think the best way to do that would be to somehow make it easier for elite QBs to move teams. And that's a, that's a rough that's a rough suggestion for a lot of people An- another way to do it is to, you know, really just get rid of the draft. I don't think that is tenable. Um, the, you know, the draft is, is, I mean, frankly, it's anti-American, but like beyond all that, like, it's just, what it does is it, 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 it captures the best 
young talent for five years in a way that they never actually get let go if they're any good. And so that if you will do get lucky and you get a franchise QB, um, he's sticking around for a while. Like, I, look at what, the only two notable elite QBs to move were like Tom Brady, the dust of Tom Brady. And he still won a championship when he went to Tampa Bay after 20 years with the Patriots. And then there was, uh, you know, the, the, the shot shattering Hulk of, 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 of uh, Peyton Manning, who was like had a neck injury they thought was going to doom him for the rest of his career. And he went on, he still won a championship throwing flutter balls to the out patterns. Like, I, I think that like elite QBs are so valuable that they're just never going to come on the market under the current system. And so, you know, the cap just isn't, if the cap can't impact the QB market, the elite QB market, then, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't think our prior should be that it will impact Perry. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I actually don't think, I think getting, I also think getting rid of the draft might, might make there less. It's all about how many there are. Right. And like the timing of when they show up, because there are going to be certain teams that are going to be more attractive. They're going to have more money, but if they already have a guy, you know, so like, Patrick Mahomes comes up and he's a free agent, right? You know, and like which team goes and signs him, you know, like, but he also went at pick number 10. So like, that's to me, there's still a kind of, you know, you're getting a little bit of a distribution of those quarterbacks and that's what matters. Um, But I don't, I certainly don't think that expand, you know, that, that making their no salary cap, it achieves parity. What I do think it would do is make it less fun. The salary cap is this wonky set of rules, right? It's like, it's like when you have a game that you enjoy playing and the reason you enjoy playing it is because the rules make it challenging, right? It's like board games. You have, there's, you got to read the rules and you got to, it makes, it makes it more fun when you just have teams like in baseball, when the Yankees just go out and pay some guy, some number that you can't even comprehend. And you have no idea, like, what the the 90th percentile or 199th percentile of what they can pay is you're just like this isn't fun it's stupid so i agree i agree selfishly but there's a cost to this and that's to the players they're not getting what they're worth and i think that is worth when when you're talking about um a rule that i think we charitably can say we really don't know the impact of right the cap if, if our ultimate goal is parity right? And the cap is our method to achieve it. And the evidence suggests that we really don't know the effect that it's having. And the cost is real and knowable that you're putting a ceiling on the very best players in the game and they're not getting paid what they're actually worth. I think it's a no brainer. Like, and I agree with you, like from a nerdy, like outsider doesn't really impact me no skin in the game perspective like the game is more interesting when you have this constraint but like that's not fair to the players oh yeah oh from a from a what's fair perspective 1000 percent. like yeah. yeah of course it's going to be hard though you're gonna get my favorite thing is the people who go well look they get paid enough the counterfactual <laughs> actually in my opinion given how given so the way owners are, I still think if you took away the salary cap in the NFL, 
you would still sort of get the parity that's elicited by the current cap, which is if you don't have one of those great because exactly it's, it's brill- still all about the brilliant quarterback. quarterbacks are a bargain. Kirk Cousins quarterbacks are not. And so it, the the fact that like Mahomes would make a hundred million a year would would make the incentive to go back into the draft and try to get a try to get a rookie quarterback the same or higher than they are now, right? Because you don't want to have to pay Kirk fucking cousins 60 million a year, right? So like and and the and the team that gets Mahomes for 100 million is still getting a bargain probably. And so to me, the the pressures that gave rise to some of what we would consider parity or what we believe would yeah. result in parity would still be there. And what I think is like what I think yeah. is still kind of neat about the league which is like like we're you're just in a game of like next up, you're you're next up you're trying to give the quarterback a rose and only like a handful of these guys get roses I, that well, the tough thing is that i think it would i don't know that the way that we've quantified parity would actually change but i do think you would see certain teams either really struggle to get that guy like i'm thinking about your chiefs who the fuck is choosing to go to the chiefs you know like okay they have andy reed and that's great like there are a lot more attractive places to go, right? And more well, wealthy owners. Good. Exactly, right? Like, I'm not going to the place for the barbecue. And and you look at, like, just what happened in the NBA. Like, the Bucks and the Bucks and the Hawks played. If everyone were just – if there was no draft, that was never – that's not happening. I seem to remember uh, uh, the, 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 the preacher, Reggie White, yeah. choosing to go to Green Bay. Yeah, he was the first big free agent signing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, I don't know. I feel like, so there's two things. So I think when you're thinking about it in terms of like, what will teams spend? Right. I, I think winning is like so far down the list for a team owner. Um, and I know that sounds strange and maybe I need to like, you know, unpack this, but the truth of it is, is what they really want to do. Their first inclination is tax avoidance. Right. And because of how wacky things are in the U.S., you can actually depreciate player salaries. So if you have a situation where you have a year where you are able to pay a lot in terms of cash flow, like that's fine for you. That's fine for your organization. Then I don't think an owner has any problem with spending a lot that year. Um, and and if, you know, they had some lean years in terms of cap or, you know, I mean, it's not even cap anymore in terms of total player outlay, then. I think, you know, they make up for it in future years because at the end of the day, what they're optimizing for is tax avoidance. After that, it's, is the league healthy? And then after that is, is my team appreciating fourth, in my opinion, is, are we any good? And like, I don't think that changes whether you have a cap or not. I don't think that matrix, I don't think that flow chart of decision-making for an owner changes one bit, whether or not there's a cap. So, I mean, and unless you're contending with that, fundamental set of pressures for an owner, like in your, in your incorporating them in your analysis, I don't think you're going to come to the right conclusions about whether or not a cap is going to affect parity. Yeah, I would agree. I think it's also interesting to look at how wealthy the current owners are. And it's, I mean, most of the teams in the league would be just fine, but the Raiders, <laughs> Mark Davis's worth and net worth is like less than 300 million. It might be up to 300 million now. Um, like 
they're they're not going to have too great of a time in this uh, free market economy. The Lions would probably be in a little bit of trouble. Um, you know, th- those are the only two teams I think with owners who have a net worth below one billion dollars. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and the, but the cool thing, and this is what Josh pointed out. I mean, we saw the Royals make two straight World Series mm-hmm. and win one. The Twins, you know, they suck, but like they've been in like the playoff hunt. You know, they historically have, despite being pretty cheap. Obviously, the Oakland A's have had, and the Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah, like, but that's that's a draft, and the diff- the difference in those two sports are massive. Yeah, yeah, I can't argue about baseball. I honestly, yeah, I mean, but the but but the the ability to pay your best players an uh, an unlimited amount of money that that question mark is still there, right? Like, so I agree with you that like all the fundamentals are not the same, but the the real issue for somebody like Mark Davis would be because you'd have some sort of revenue sharing. You have revenue sharing baseball, like you would have some sort of revenue sharing, but it would be. The luxury the, tax. It would be the spending the hundred million on a quarterback, yeah. and some teams simply can't do that, and other teams can't. Like you know, there was always like obviously Moneyball's the the sort of interesting one, but like they couldn't even pay eight million to Johnny Damon, right? You know, like Eric, how interesting would it be to have a league, right? Where look, there is a finite number of elite quarterbacks, and the number of it shrinks and grows through each era. But how interesting would it be to have a team who is sharp? who didn't have or couldn't get an elite quarterback because they couldn't afford it, build a team through all just over-investing in all these weak link position groups and try and build a great defense and a great O-line to take out that elite quarterback. How interesting would it, would it be to see that happen in the NFL? You just can't do that. Uh, Josh, are you familiar with the Denver Broncos? No. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's sort of, that's sort of what the Ravens were do- were thinking about doing before Lamar became elite. Like, right? that's kind of how I feel like that's what they were doing when they had Lamar and like, yeah. right? Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's that that is. But you're right. I mean, you're right. Like the the interesting thing, and I think this is why I appreciate your point of view so much, Josh, is that we get in this rut where we're looking at the games and the games within the games and the games within the games within the games, and sometimes it's important to step back. And it, and it evaluates like it, it's just a fun thing to like evaluate and think think to yourself like what happened what happens if X didn't exist how would things evolve well, we'd be we'd be arguing not about whether Nick Chubb was overpaid but why it was so stupid to pay him ten x what yeah you know this other position was making that's that would be our the change we'd have to shift our consternations so. Um, we have one last thing. We do this with every guest. I'm really excited for this one. Okay. Cause you are man of culture. You're going to knock it out of the park here, Josh. We do a segment every Wednesday or every Sunday, Eric and I give a recommendation to the people ranges from food to podcasts, to books, to whatever the hell it is, workout routines, um, wearing underwear, not wearing underwear. Um, and every Wednesday when we have a guest on, we ask them to give us a recommendation. So Joshua, what is your recommendation for the people? Mm. So this needs to be a recommendation that most people listening can actually avail themselves of. It can't be a local. Hmm. Oh. 
this is how you know it's going to be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm having trouble. So there's a gentleman on Twitter, uh, and I, I can't remember his name, but he sent me some of his homemade bottle, but it's actually a business, Bottle Rocket Hot Sauce. And he had a ghost pepper hot sauce. And I put that, I put that nonsense on my, uh, on my chicken tacos and on my burger and all this stuff. And anyone could get it. I think it's like four or five bucks a bottle, but he makes it homemade. And I, I, I think this dovetails with living healthy. I think this dovetails with living a life full of flavor. Like this is, this is an easy ad, right. To living a better life. Like it is delicious stuff. And uh, I would recommend you you seek out, if not his sauce, something else with some picante to it, like a nice, delicious hot sauce. Uh, I think I think there's nothing better to just kind of you know liven up, I was, liven up a meal. I was expecting you to to be on, um, you know, to give us something that was not for the people, but you was for the people. That was for the people, and. Yeah. That was what, what, uh, what, that what, was what sensational. Like some 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 Bordeaux or something. Yeah, like that. Yeah, like some wine that I could never yeah. find. But like, hot sauce is such a tremendous addition because you can make like rice and stir fried vegetables, and if you just have the right sriracha or the right hot sauce, it's an amazing dish. Yeah, I'll, I'll say this. Here's a comp for Josh. Josh. If you've ever read a, the, the book, the, the um, quarterback whisper about Bruce Arians, Josh, has, Josh, Josh you, have high t- you have high taste, you have great taste, but you also are a man of the people. I feel like, I feel like you sort of not, have such good range. Josh prides himself on maximizing like both quality yeah. and spend in a, in a really elite way. You know, because jo- you'll never see Josh hates nothing more. I love how we're just talking about you. Really listen, yeah, Josh hates nothing more than being punked by overpaying for something. Yeah. Am I right? Okay, so I came from wine, uh, and there's no snootier group of people than you'll ever want to meet. Like, there's no more elitist group of douchebags in the entire world. And the people who make the wine for these douchebags are probably some of the coolest and most salt of the earth folks that you'll ever want to meet. And so there's this weird split, right? And, uh, and, the, and, and the weirdest part of it is, is that like, it is true, you pay more, you get better quality in general, but it's nonlinear and it levels out pretty fucking quick in almost every good. And Finding that inflection point is the fun of it, right? I think. Like, for instance, bourbon. Like, why would you buy a Pappy Van Winkle in the aftermarket for like a grand a bottle when you can get the exact same grain bill in the exact same distillery with the exact same oak in a bottle of Weller? And when people discovered it, obviously Weller became harder to get but the price didn't go up. And I love those guys. And that is, I think, the epitome of being awesome in life. You, you are, everyone that recognizes you're good. You're not trying to, you know, gouge anyone. You're sold out. The market is telling you in every single way it can that you're mad good. And, you know, you maybe take a, take another $5 a bottle and then you, you retire. Like, I think, 
I think I think that's the way to live life in, in a in a reasonable moral way, um, you know. And and uh, and I could probably dovetail the Bitcoin, but we'll probably be here all night. I um I would second that. I I will tease our Sunday podcast by saying that I will have a recommendation on Sunday of my favorite hot sauces as a connoisseur of the hot sauce market. I'm gonna I'm gonna find. Tell me, the, remind me the name of this gentleman's it, Model Rocket, I believe, is the name of it. Yeah. Yep. I'll, I'll tweet it out after this. So check my feed. And uh, if you're, if you're checking your feed is how I... a big day for rockets. <laughs> check, <laughs> checking, my, checking Josh's feed is how I put myself to bed every single night. So oh I will God. look forward to that. But um, this has been wonderful. We always enjoy having you um, on the podcast and talking to you when you're not on the podcast. So Josh Hermsmeyer, if you don't follow him, go check him out at Frisco Josh. He does great work at 538, um, has a really cool article on, uh, <laughs> on Aaron Rodgers chasing rivals. And uh, turns out that uh, it came to fruition. He came back. And maybe part of it was that he was trying to chase Brett Favre. Who knows? Josh, thank you, brother. Guys, always so great talking to you both. Thanks. Special thanks to Josh for hanging out with us. That was a really fun conversation. I think we spent a lot of time on the the Browns kind of Nick Chubb thing, but it was really interesting. Yeah, I think so. I, You know, I still want to like think – I want your opinion on this idea that – like I said, I'm not abdicating for it, but I do wonder, A, is it possible to make plus EV decisions every single move? Right. With mm-hmm. without ruin happening, meaning you lose your job. Right. He mm-hmm. talked about how Sachi Brown mm-hmm. couldn't read the room and that was a negative EV play for him as a GM. Right. Because there are there's a human aspect of keeping your job yep. and there's the winning aspect. Is there a because I'm av- I was advocating and I, I brought up the sports betting idea where it's like you only make positive EV bets, but there there might be a circumstance where, for example, like a lot of betters do this, by the way to make sure that their account doesn't get limited, they'll only bet overs, right? On props that they have, you know, yeah. like they're, it's they're the are, wrong, it's the wrong analogy, but I agree with you. Um, and I think there are a couple of really good analogies. One easy to apply analogy is just like jobs that everyone has every day. Right. And, um, that's the boring one. The more exciting analogy is the one that I will use, which is you're married. Right. I'm, I'm married. Yep. I've had kids a girlfriend too. for a few years. Um, and there are times where in that relationship you go, you know what? I know this isn't the right decision, but a person that I care deeply about and is really important for my happiness kind of feels this way. And it's not that big of a deal. So I'm not going to make a big deal out of it. And when I do really feel strongly and it's something that really matters, I will definitely have that conversation. But if I try having that conversation every fucking time, yeah, it's then exhausting. it's just not going to be happy. And I, I really appreciate Josh because he stays really faithful to like what is the ideal thing to do in a vacuum, in a perfect world, in a utopian society. But that doesn't exist. Yeah. Well, there, there's, there's also like just like the evolutionary stable state of cooperation, right? right. Like cooperation, cooperation is. There are tons of systems, like in ecology, for example, where if you if they're completely deterministic systems, uh, a couple of dominant things win out, and when you make the system stochastic or more random, you add in you know 
environmental stochasticity, for example, mm-hmm. the the steady state becomes one of cooperation. And I think while, and this is what I, I was saying with Josh, is we're not necessarily uncertain about the value of running backs. We may be uncertain about the magnitude. We may be uncertain about other things, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm not saying that like the evolutionary stable state is complete cooperation or completely acquiescence mm-hmm. to what uh, the running back truthers want. But some, and again, magnitudes here, but some might might be viewed by people like Andrew Barry as an acceptable alternative. Yeah. I, I don't I don't think we can fault Andrew Barry here. And I think that would be one of my one of my t- many takeaways that I have. Real quick, um a new segment that I'm bringing into the podcast here. It's called Would You Rather? Oh. Would you rather sign Baker Mayfield or Lamar Jackson to an extension tomorrow? Lamar Jackson. I so I know that I had, you know, we went back to the podcast my what was it eight nine and ten were were and they were the same i just said them in this order baker kirk cousins lamar i do think on average that's like they're still the same like i think if you take the average of those guys you get the same output but if but i do think the the ruin probability with lamar is higher but I think that the probability of winning a Super Bowl with Lamar is higher than Baker Mayfield. And with that, like I probably would buy into him. I would not so I would wait another season before signing either one of them. Yeah, that wasn't the question. Yeah. If I had to sign one tomorrow, I would 100% sign Lamar Jackson over Baker Mayfield because as you said, there is a probability of being in a season the best quarterback that is higher for Lamar than it is for Baker Mayfield. Uh, last, would you rather? Would you rather sign Nick Chubb to a thirty-six million dollar deal over three years, or let him go and replace him with um, Jeff Wilson of the Forty ers Jeff Wilson's a fine running back. How much am I paying Jeff Wilson? Like two million dollars a year. Yeah. Give me Jeff Wilson. I love Nick <laughs> Chubb, but give me Jeff Wilson. I, I mean, I love Nick Chubb, by the way. If you cut this up and just put that part, make sure you include this. I love Nick Chubb. That was our podcast. We will be back with you on Sunday evening. We love you all. Peace out. In the dark, you shine.